I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We have uh, been going through this book now for several months. And I, in the years of pastoring, been constantly amazed at God's providence and the books as we preach verse by verse. You know, I kind of choose a book and we'll go through it. Uh, and time that's given, and try to uh, bring out all that we can. And it's amazing how, in God's providence, in the timing events going on in our nation, or in our church, we land on passages that speak in ways that I could not have imagined in the timing of our events. Every once in a while, someone will claim, Pastor, you're just kind of picking these things, and all I can say is I'm not smart enough. I just can't figure things out to how things are going to happen in our church, to the, what truth speaks to that issue. All I can say is God does that, and I pray that you have a heart and eyes and ears to see God speaking through His Word. Through failed humanity as I am. But there is something to the Word of God. And the passages we look at, if you'd hear, don't hear me, at least read it and let God speak to your heart through the Word. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Um, I'm going to read verse 10 through 13. With our primary focus being on verse 10 and 11. Now, if this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand in honor of what this is. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. You may be seated. Looking in the pictures of history in World War II, I was constantly amazed as we watched the videos and the pictures of the Jews lined up outside the trains going into the concentration camps, how Orderly they seemed, sad they looked, uh, but following the rules, in line, going to the death of the Jews. After a horrendous train ride, cramped in miserable conditions, after many of them being in the Jewish ghettos uh, there for some time, 
after being moved out of their homes and carrying in their suitcases only those things that would belong to them, how could they continue and go through such ordeals in such a passive way, in such a timid-seeming way? And as we interviewed and historians have uh, interviewed those survivors, the simple matter was that they could not believe, they could not believe that they were being systematically exterminated. They could not believe that their wives and their children were marching to be cremated, gassed. It just wasn't something they could believe. But they were fed lies all along the way. That they were being moved away from the military fronts because that would be the safest thing to do, to have the Jews away from the military fronts. That they were being concentrated together, not in ghettos, but in Jewish quarters. That they were giving some sense of self-government of a Jewish council within these areas, though those Jewish councils had no power whatsoever. It was the illusion that things were well and they had a say in what was going on. That they were not going to concentration camps, but they were being moved to take care of labor in other places around. That they were not going to be gassed, but they were going to the showers. That the older uh, Jews were not being killed, the children were not being killed, that they would be removed to other places where the elderly would take care of the children and you'll see them next week. Despite the Polish, Hungarian, Slovaks there that knew the truth, told them the truth, said, no, your women and children are being burned, the elderly being burned. over this. The smoke you see is your children being burned. They were told that, but they still would not believe it. They could not believe it. It was an illusion of stability, an illusion of things will always go as they have always gone in the past. I will see them next week. It wasn't until much later they came to the grim reality of what just happened. And those in the gas chambers realized only too late exactly what was happening. I believe that in our life that Satan is constantly working for us to live an illusion of comfort, an illusion of stability, an illusion of security, that things will always go as they have always been. We read the things in the Word of God of an end day coming, of an evil day coming, of things coming to a close, but there is always this illusion that we think, no, no. And then you have hurricane after hurricane, earthquakes, fires going on, and people start talking to me. What, Pastor, what do you think about September 23rd and all of these signs? Is the, is the Lord coming back? And I can always say to him, yes, yes, the Lord is coming back. I think these things sometimes pull the veil of illusion, but one of the greatest illusions that we have is that 
we are not engaged in spiritual war. One of the illusions that we have is Satan is not at this moment working in and around us. There is an illusion that we just live in comfort. We can just go on as between God and ourselves and Satan is not involved. Satan likes to keep that illusion going and let the lies be said until it's going to be too late. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, 11, 12, and going on through verse 20, Paul is saying, let me just unveil a little bit of the spiritual realm of what's going on. There is war in your life right now. There are forces at work, and all these forces are greater than your strength. And in American church, we have lost that. Because it's not educated to say that I believe in the devil. And the devil is at work. I mean, bring that up in your college class. And to see what the laughter ensues. But there are other places in this world where it is real and active. And there's no doubt about it. So I want to read this passage to you and just bring out just three simple observations that come from this and some of the conditions around it. And first, I would say to you as I read verse 10, 11, and 12, when he says there is schemes that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me just bring this observation to you. Number one, there will always be attacks from Satan. There will always be attacks from Satan. The schemes, the methods of Satan. Be aware that there are methods that he is working on. And verse 11 seems to stand and assume this is going to happen. Jesus gave warning of this in John chapter 10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. He is the good shepherd. And so it is one of the M.O.s of Satan, of the devil, to be putting out lies. Putting out lies constantly. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. It says in this passage, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Can you get that? He is roaming around Looking, longing, desiring to devour that person. To undermine the faith in Christ in that person's life. To introduce shame, fear, sin, guilt, anger, hostility, unforgiveness. That he is looking for those ways to get in. If you can imagine yourself being as a home in the midst of the hurricane, the floods coming in, the water will come into any access you allow. And so just imagine your soul in this way that the Satan is longing for this. But we keep on reading. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings 
are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Let me just share with you that when a church is doing the Great Commission work and seeking to be under the authority of God and His Word, understand that they will make themselves a target of satanic attack and the methods will be various. That is not a new revelation. I'm just bringing it to our attention, what is already in the Word of God. It's there. I would suggest that in our church's history, and you talk to the ones who've been here the longest, and you'll see that the longer the history, the more you see the attacks. Sometimes there's a pattern. Sometimes there's variety. But there are attacks of Satan throughout any church's history that seeks God's word. And as challenging and as hard as they are, and what I've learned from my years here and beyond talking to others, we have yet to endure the attacks of Satan that goes on in other churches around this world. You notice what we said, read in 1 Peter 5, that your brothers are going through similar things. You're not alone. You're not alone in these attacks on your faith. I was talking with my dear brother, Finney Matthews. Many of you know Finney. He's preached here a number of times. Uh, leads ministry in uh, India. It was just maybe two to three weeks we were getting together and just catching up. He's moving uh, to Greensboro and just sharing. And he was asking me about some of the, what's going on in our church and some of the challenges in it. And, and I just shared with him where we're at and what God's doing and, and the difficulty of it, but I said to him, but you know, Finney, you know, the things that we endure, we endure as we seek a church under the authority of God and what that means. But I know, good and well, Finney, that you have believers in India that when they do this, it is on different battlefronts and the attacks are vigilant and intense and it looks like the loss of life, loss of buildings and burning and acid splashing. It looks like that. So whatever sufferings we endure in the pursuit of a community in faith in God's word, whatever sufferings we endure, it is light. It is not to be considered in light what others have done. And if the suffering and in the challenges that take place happen because we're seeking to be under God's word, then you know what? Anything like that, I count it as a praise to be just enduring something with Christ. Enduring something with Him. There will always be attacks from Satan. And we need to understand something. When God has called us to follow Christ, it is an invitation for the rest of your life on this earth to struggle. It is an invitation to fight. There will always be a fight. And one of the things that you have to understand is that comfort is not the place of greatest joy. 
Have you ever realized that, that just to create a life of comfort is not the life of greatest joy? You think there will be happiness, but in the midst of the comfort that you thought was bringing happiness only brings unhappiness. It is in the life of living in purpose, following God's will, as you go out of comfortable areas into uncomfortable areas, that joy comes and peace can come in that moment. Dr. Addison Leach was one of uh, Elizabeth Elliot's husbands after she lost quite a few and to death. This was her second husband. He was a pastor in this area, in this church. And uh, two uh, women, young women, were going uh, out of college and felt called into the mission field. And they shared with the parents, and their parents were uh, just slightly concerned about the prospects of their future. And they came to him and said, this is what our daughter needs to be doing. They need to be finishing school. They need to go graduate school. They need to get a good job. They do not need to be tramping all over the earth uh, so that they can be a part of this mission work. Dr. Addison Leach responded, let me get this straight. Every one of us is on a little ball of rock called earth. This little ball of rock is spinning through space at a zillion millions miles an hour, even if it doesn't ever run into anything, someday from under every single one of us, a little trap door is going to open and everyone here is going to fall off. Underneath there will be the everlasting arms of God or nothing at all. Maybe you can get some security by getting a master's degree. Have I got you straight? All that to say, what this society says brings comfort when you read the word of God it takes a whole nother level when you consider there is eternity and as Jeff has brought out there is life and death and eternity and God's arms are held to be rejected by him forever one of the things to keep in mind as we read this, getting in the context of Ephesians chapter 6 is to saying there is satanic attacks there are schemes of Satan Notice the context that in this, we look in chapter 5 where this was introduced, that it was about seeking to do God's will. Living wise, not foolish, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Because the days are evil, time is getting short. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Looks like singing to one another, dressing. Looks like giving radical thanksgiving. And looks like in verse 21, Ephesians 5, submitting to one another. And then he goes on, listing out from chapter 5 into chapter 6, the roles of submission of wives to the husbands, of the children to the parents, as to the employees to the employers. And then comes verse 10. Notice that as we're doing this, there's going to be spiritual warfare. So let me just say Observation number two, the attacks are greater the more God works. The attacks are greater the more God works. So here, Paul is saying, look, be submissive to one another. Recognize the role of authority that God has put into your life. And this is something we do because we're being filled with the Spirit, doing the will of God. But it is at this point, he says, and you're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. As we submit to the Holy Spirit, as we yield to Him and have thanksgiving, have worship in our hearts, uh, looking at uh, uh, submitting to one another and the roles that God gives us, then there's going to be attacks. So when God's Word is preached, 
When God's word's preached, when God's word is declared, you can expect the enemy to snuff it out. That's what he does. In the word of God is the power of God, declared by Jesus himself. That is the work of God in his words. And so when I read the word of God, there is constantly challenges in my own heart. I can tell as I study, as I prepare, as I pray, I can sense the battle in my mind, in my heart, and preparing this. This is something that goes on a weekly way, and it comes in various, various methods. It comes in even as we're talking. As I declare the word of God. It's interesting as you look in the Puritans and looking in the old American days of church history. They would have, um, and you know, one of the, the ushers had a special role. He had a special stick. Y'all know what the stick was? A long stick. Depending on the church, it might have a feather on it. Our sharp stick on the end. And they would be walking up and down the sides. And they'd wait for that person who nods. You know, it looks like their head's sinking a little low and just poke them. And uh, it's interesting when you read about it in the church history. They, they said, we are doing the work of God because we believe Satan brings slumber in to the situation when God's word is declared. And so we want to be vigilant. It was part of their warfare. Have you thought about that? A distracted mind in reading the word of God, slumbering. You know, it might do as well that before we get in and you sit down and say, God, I want to hear you. I want to know you're working through your word. Would you revive my heart? Help me think through how this word applies to my life. Help me focus and, and, and to be aware of distracting thoughts. I, I know that in my young life, as I became quickly following Christ and learning what that meant, that soon thereafter... Relationships grew in my life that distracted my mind from God's word. Someone has said recently it was the three P's that enter into a young man's life when they follow Christ. Petroleum, perfume, and pay. One of those three, and maybe all three at once, grabs the heart of a young man and he can't focus on the word of God. There will always be attacks from Satan, but the attacks are greater the more God's work, when God's word is preached, when lives are changed. When you see, that's why we need to pray for uh, Cameron. Cameron came forward last Sunday and made public his desire to be baptized. There is some spiritual working going on in his life. When you see lives are changing, when you note that, you also will note they will be marked by Satan. And anytime there is a thirst and you're praying, you see a spark for, for the Lord in their heart, there will be a corresponding uh, distraction and an attack on that spark to wet it, to fuse it. When lives are changed, when God's Spirit moves in authority. We see these conditions when God's word is preached, when lives are changed, when God's spirit moves in authority. You see the context of this in Ephesians 5 and 6, that God's spirit is moving in authority. He says, I want you to yield, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to surrender to him. And so when that moves in authority from the wives to the husbands, from the children to the fathers, 
uh, to the, the parents, uh, as well as the employees, to the employers, when you see the Holy Spirit moving in that way with authority, it becomes a tax. The tax are greater the more God works. But listen, we keep praying for God to work more and more. Come what may. Satan may attack. But a mighty fortress is our God. and We belong to him. Though they may buffet. We want that to work. Let me share with you a third observation. Jesus gives you the victory. Jesus gives you the victory. Finally, be strong in the, what? The Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not your might. Verse 12 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Listen, we just always need to know that there is no human that is the enemy of the follower of Christ. It's one of the methods of Satan. To get us thinking just on the flesh. Because if our minds are on the flesh, we will fight it with fleshly methods. And we can't see the real enemy behind. Because the real enemy behind forces at work is also can be working in our heart and our life. And that we will be ever as vigilant on the evil forces that are tempting our heart as we see working in the lives of others. Jesus gives us the victory. Let me share with you three observations that we, we get right here in Ephesians 6, especially in verse 10. How does Jesus give you the victory? Well, first of all, warfare strengthens you. Warfare strengthens you. It is in the challenge It is in the struggle. If there is no struggle in your heart and mind with living a holy life, then I would say to you, you are not following Christ. In following Christ, there will be a struggle in your heart and mind in pursuit of holiness. But it is in that struggle that you learn to lean on Christ in ways you've never done before. And it will tear you down in all your fleshly strength. So this past uh, weekend I did an obstacle run course. Never done one of those. I always wanted to do one of those. It's just like being a child, except you're 42 and you feel it. Uh, you know, running over stuff, climbing up cargo nets and swinging across ropes and uh, running up these huge ramps. And um, it's all good. Except last night I, I used this stuff for the very first time. <laughs> Some people call it Ben Gay. We had the deep blue version of it, you know. This stunk, but I thought, man, this feels good, because <laughs> my muscles just got torn down. And exercise, that's what happens, right? But you get stronger by the exercise. Spiritually, God has designed this world where there will be challenges and spiritual hardships But in so doing, he's designed it where we will lean on Christ in ways we never would before. Warfare strengthens us, but it's not our strength, is it? Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And so let me just share with you that not only does warfare strengthen you, warfare, warfare purifies the heart. 
purifies the heart to understand that there are things greater than me that's coming against me and the faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have a hope. I don't have a hope to go against. I, I'd just soon uh, be able to hold back a wave in the ocean than to see the spiritual forces at work and think that I can withstand it in some form, some fashion. I have to lean on something else. What does my heart lean on? What do I go to? One of the things I've observed about my life is that in spiritual warfare, I can identify false assurances, tactics I would use. I'd say, you know, I desperately want some peace in this. I, I, I don't want to be thinking about challenges and struggles and warfare. I don't want to be thinking about it. So maybe I can just pretend like it's not happening. I can just avoid or procrastinate. It's a tactic. Thinking maybe I can get some peace, but there is no peace in those places. Peace is only found in under the authority of God in his strength and saying, God, help me to do what you call me to do, as difficult, as hard as it might be. And Lord, I will hope in you and your peace, your strength, and your power at work. Warfare purifies the heart to say, here are the various tactics I've leaned on in the past to find some comfort, and they don't work anymore. Your house could be very comfortable, air-conditioned. You think you could be secure until the hurricane comes. You realize, oh, the house isn't all that I thought it would be. Our tactics get exposed in the midst of warfare. I think about 1 John 4, verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus gives us the victory. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus said to Peter, Satan demanded to have you. Simon. He said, Simon. He said his name. Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, what would that do to you if Jesus said that to you? Satan wants you. I would say through the word of God, he has said that to every one of us who are followers in him. There will be a time and maybe multiple times where it would be as if Satan is calling out your name and God is calling out your name at the same time. Satan has demanded this. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What is Satan going for? Satan is going for the failure of faith to say that you will not trust God anymore. You will not trust Jesus anymore. It'll be done in the multitude of questions. I found that God often speaks to me in questions, and I found that Satan seems to speak to me in questions every time. You see this in the Word of God, where often when God speaks, it's through questions and sometimes through declarations. But when I observe how Satan speaks, it's almost always in questions. Really? Can God be trusted? God. There's so many people who say there's no God anyway. Where do you get that idea? From the Bible. That Bible was written thousands. Can you really trust something that's been written thousands of years ago? Really? These things happen. Could God be so good? It's the multitude of questions that Satan comes in, but the battling is going to be done in how we answer the questions. What do we go to to say where the truth is at? 
Jesus gives us the victory and he is praying for us that our faith may not fail. Warfare also humbles us, doesn't it? Because we realize that the only hope we've got is God and his authority. And that is why it is ever so important that we remain under the authority of God as he has declared it. And if there's ever a question to say, God, what is your will? What is your authority in this matter? We go to the word and we pray, God, make it clear in his word. And he has shared with us everything that we need to know to live a godly life and to escape the world of this corruption. Second Peter chapter 1. He's provided it all. It humbles us. James 4 verse 7 says this. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want grace in your life? You want God's power in your life? It comes with humility. It doesn't come by covering things up, being proudful. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You see, submit to the authority of God. Who you are, give it to him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I would say to you that when there's spiritual warfare, that oftentimes the victory comes of all things in confession. Confessing. Humility. Being open. Saying, God, forgive me. Letting that forgiveness extend to others. Maybe they confess. Maybe not. It's between them and God. But in that moment, there is a doorway open for God's grace to come in as you've humbled yourself, as you've mourned your sin, as you've purified your heart. There is a door opening up for God's grace to come in and bring healing to you, and I would say to our church as well. I was able to talk with some of the leaders several years ago with the special forces camp in Fort McCall and just they were talking and talk about some of their strategies and they had something called force uh, multiplying multiplying force and they said we'll go in with a special operating team with about maybe three to five a unit to go in and they'll be armed with a, a just a few things a, a carbine and something called this target designator selector now what is that well, they go in, they drop them behind the enemy lines, and in this little unit, they'll target it on a forced opposition. And all around, if we do this right, we'll have maybe Air Force carrier out, we'll have air support. And when they put in that code, in that target designator, then it's just in a matter of a moment, up from the sky, will come a missile bearing down on that target. And I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. Listen, what we have 
in spiritual warfare, something called prayer. If you keep on reading, it talks about the armor, spiritual armor we'll look at in days ahead. But you see in verse 18, the last piece, praying at all times in the Spirit to say, we are engaged in warfare. We are on the ground. We are the troops on the ground. But understand that there is the Holy Spirit who is moving in us, through us, around us, above us, including in the hearts of people around. And we can, by prayer, say, God, we are engaged in this warfare. This battle belongs to you, but we are ones doing the battling by your commission, by your direction. And we have this gift called prayer, and we're going to ask that your Holy Spirit move and work in us and around us and through us and do something only you can do to your glory. And trust him with the wisdom of that. If you're going to lean on his power, and he's got the power to do that, you're going to also have to lean on the wisdom of God. If the power is going to be so much greater, so too the wisdom has to be beyond our comprehension. So sometimes what that might look like would be vastly different than how you think. But you're trusting in that wisdom and in that power for God to work. We just sung a hymn a little bit ago. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible, uh, your hymn books. Turn to 275. How firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith and his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Verse 2, quoting Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with thee, or be not dismayed. For I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee. calls thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Third verse from Isaiah 42. When through very trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I'm only designed thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. You see that purifying of your heart? The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Church, do not live in fear. That is satanic. Do not live in shame. That's the banner flag of Satan. God holds his church. Whether green pines continue or not, that's up to God. But his church will continue. We don't have to be afraid. He's got this. The battle belongs to the Lord. And Jesus is our victory. Let's make Jesus our plea, our flag, our glory.
Andy, if you'll lead us in a prayer with that song. Uh, we're going to sing that together. You just keep your hymn books open. We'll have it on the screen if we're able to. Um, but I want you to sing that as a prayer to the Lord, but declare it to one another. We're singing psalms, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And may the Holy Spirit minister through us. I'll be here at the front. If you'd like to come forward, I would just say to you that the only safe place from satanic influences is the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the only safe place. I invite you to come to the arms of Jesus. Trust Him. Give your soul, your life to Him. And let Him fight the battles for you and with you. After this time, we'll have uh, Emory will come after our, our hymn of invitation. Let's stand as we sing. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuse to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with O be not dismayed, for I am your God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and your gold to refine. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That soul, In your arms, those arms that you've promised you would never, ever forsake those whose soul takes repose in you. And so, Father, our only hope.
hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong to you, body, soul, life, death. And Lord, the only way we may know your authority working through us against the attacks of Satan is that we would be under your authority. Make that our hope, our desire, our glory. You are our King and Lord. We pray this in your name.